It is really good to be back with you if you're new or new-ish to Grace Point over the last couple weeks. My name is Tim. I get the privilege of being um, the lead pastor here at Grace Point, and um, we're going to jump into the message here in a second for today. Before we do, I kind of want to give you a little bit um, of a promo, advertisement, whatever you want to call it, about the series that we're going to start um, next week. We're starting a series next week entitled, It's the End of the World as We Know It. Um, I, I don't know if it's just me or if it's just a few people around me, but it seems like there's a lot going on in our world. Um, and there has been over the last many, many years. But um, I, want us to, I want us to talk about that. I want us to explore um, that. Um, if, if you come from a religious background or religious perspective, you have some ideas of what the end of the world is going to look like. If you don't, you have some ideas of what the end of the world is going to look like. But Scripture actually addresses this. Um, so we're going to open up Scripture and, and, and talk about what is, um, what, what, as, as followers of Jesus, what does it look like for us to live in a world with, you know, political instability and, and economic instability and, um, you know, global pandemics. I would have never thought I would have had to address global pandemics when I went through school 20 years ago, right? Or, or artificial intelligence, climate change, the Kardashian family, all kinds of things that you just wonder what in the world is going on, right? So we're going we're gonna to talk about that um, and, and kind of the, the byline for the series, the, the, it's, it's, it's the end of the world as we know it. Um, and no, I am not going to try and karaoke the REM song because nobody really knows the words to that song anyway. But, um, but the byline for the series is um, how you can keep it together in a world that's falling apart. Because, um, I mean, let's be honest, when we see all the stuff that's going on around us, you wonder, is God paying attention? <laughs> you wonder, is there still hope? What, what, what do we have to have hope in? So we're going to explore that over the next uh, four weeks, starting next week. So I hope you come back and join us for that. Or if you're joining us online, you join us online with that as well. Okay, so that's next week. This week, here's where we're going um, today. Has anybody ever had a time in your life where um, you, you made a commitment you were absolutely sure that you needed to make, but when it came to following through, you just didn't? It could have been a diet, a discipline, a financial thing. Maybe it was to travel less at work or to come home earlier from work, you know, what, what, whatever it was. And you were, you were just convinced that you needed to do that. And you did for a week, for a month, maybe a couple months. But then you, you just stopped. You went back on the commitment. It's kind of weird because in most cases, it was a commitment that would make your life better. Right? So think about it. We made a commitment to ourselves that would benefit ourselves and broke the commitment to ourselves that would benefit ourselves. What is that? Why do we, why do, we do that? Or um, maybe we've had times, and this goes maybe a, a, another layer a little bit deeper, some, something that we've said, I have a conviction 100% that that is wrong. As a husband, as a wife, as, as a follower of Jesus, as a 16-year-old, no one should ever, ever do that. We were absolutely sure something was wrong, and we did it anyway. You ever done that? Yeah, me neither. I've never done that either, right? Like, you want to turn to the person next to you and share what that was, kind of spice up the morning? No. 
We don't want to talk about that at all. We don't even want to think about it, right? But we, we, we do this. We make, we have these convictions that you knew, you knew it was good for you or your family or your marriage or your health, but you ignored the conviction that you made that would benefit you. Why do you do that? Why do we do that? Or, or how about this one? Um, you, you, you've kept your conviction for three weeks or for two months or for five years, whatever it is, and then you tell yourself this little lie. Well, I've been good this long, so I'm going to go back on it just this one time, right? I deserve this. And do you know, nowhere else in life does that work? Nowhere else. Like, go to the bank tomorrow. And tell them, you know what? I'm 43 and I've never robbed a bank before in my life. I kind of deserve one. <laughs> Stick them up, you know? Doesn't work. Doesn't work anywhere else in life. But for some reason, we, we, we do this. Now, I point all of that out to say this. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, okay? But somewhere along the way, we've been taught um, or we've been convinced or maybe we've just picked up this idea that making commitments... And having convictions is enough. <laughs> that, that making commitments and having convictions is enough. That, that those two things alone are enough for us to stand on. They're to, to start a new habit, to break an old habit, or just in, in general, to make life better. What, whatever it is, I mean, you can apply it in whatever realm you want to. But your experience and my experience tells a different story, doesn't it? Because no matter how committed you are, no matter how deep your conviction is, for some reason, those two things aren't enough most of the time to help us break an old habit, start a new habit, make our life better. What, 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 when it, whatever two-legged stool of commitment and conviction isn't solid enough to hold us up. And, and I believe, and today we're going to talk about this, I believe there's a missing piece. And I believe... Most of us, or, or, or many of us, many people have missed this third leg of the stool. But when we have all three in place, it can withstand the pressure. It can hold us up. It can get us to the finish line. It can get us to wherever we want to be. But, but commitment and conviction just aren't enough. And the amazing thing about this is, like, this isn't my idea, the amazing thing is, is that this, these, these ancient collections of manuscripts that we call the Bible talks about this component. And outside of that, some of you are involved in organizations and industries that understand what we're talking about today. Like the principle is as old as the first century. So it's, it's even older than that. And we so easily apply it in other realms of our life. But for some reason, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, when it, when it comes to how our faith benefits us or how it benefits the world around us, for some reason, many people miss this. And, and we just think, well, as long as I'm committed and I have deep convictions that supports all of my commitments, that's really all I need. But again, our experience shows that's, that's just not true. There's something missing. So, if you have a Bible or a mobile device, I really, really want us to all look at these verses. We'll throw them up on the screen as well. But if you have a Bible or a mobile device, find Hebrews chapter 3. If you want to follow along, Hebrews is in the New Testament. Um, and while you're finding that, I want to talk a little bit more about um, this, this, this dynamic. Maybe you're the exception to the rule, um, but I don't think anybody wakes up one day and says, 
I'm done with my commitments, right? I don't think anybody wakes up one day and says, all those convictions I've had for the majority of my life, I'm just done with those. I'm going to leave them behind. I don't think anybody does that. But there are many people, maybe you're one of them, maybe you know somebody like this, or you were like this. There are many people that have found themselves behaving differently over time, which eventually leads them to believing differently over time. Okay? Again, you've seen somebody like this. We misbehave before we misbelieve. And I know that's kind of a general rule that doesn't happen everywhere in every situation. But, but for the most part, we misbehave before we misbelieve. We act contrary to what we believe. And when we do that, we feel what emotion? Guilt. Yeah, I heard it. Guilt. We feel guilty. The reason we feel guilty is because we believed one way and acted the opposite. And that tension... That contradiction between what you believe and what you do is, is kind of the recipe for guilt. But when someone misbehaves and then misbehaves again and then misbehaves again and again and again and again and again over the course of weeks, months, years, one of two things happens. Um, we either get so loaded up with guilt that, that we feel hopeless and, and depressed and, and we just don't try anymore, which isn't good, or... We decide, you know what? I know how I'm going to get rid of my guilt. I'll just start misbelieving. If I, if I misbelieve while I misbehave, the guilt will go away. So if you think lying is wrong and you lie, you feel guilty. But if you decide, you know what? In this situation, in, in, in this relationship, in my industry, on this trip, well, my spouse doesn't really need to know about this. I, I don't think lying is wrong here. Then the guilt suddenly goes away. It sounds great. The problem is you still have to deal with the consequences and the outcomes of that. We, we, we misbelieve. Misbelieving can erase the guilt, but it doesn't erase the outcomes of our misbelief. So if, if, if you think, again, if you just need to be more committed or your convictions aren't deep enough... The good news is this, strong commitments and deep convictions are only part of the equation. It's just part of it. They're not enough. They actually never have been. There's a third component. There's a missing piece. And we will either stay in that death loop of constantly feeling guilty or, or deciding, you know what, I don't want to feel guilty anymore, so I'm deciding that's not wrong anymore, even though you'll continue to deal with the, the outcomes and the, and, the, and the consequences of that. You, you can choose one of those two paths, or there's actually a third way. We can choose to add this third piece. And, and whenever, I, whenever we talk about this, you're not, this is not going to be an aha moment for most of you. Like, this is not new information. Most of you are going to go, oh, yeah, they do that over there all the time. Or that's, yeah, that's just common sense. That's the way I've always thought about it. That's the way I've always done it. But my challenge for you today, for, for, for some of you, the, the reason I'm talking about this today is because I want you to take this very familiar kind of common sense idea and apply it to your faith. I want to take this, this idea that we all know works and bring it into the realm of your relationship with Jesus. Because it's one of the ways we were designed to grow in our understanding and our obedience to him. Like you were designed to do this. It's one of the most important disciplines that we can develop as followers of Jesus. You need to add this to your commitments and your convictions if you haven't already.
Okay, so let's read these verses together. Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 12. We don't know who wrote the book of, of Hebrews, but the author says this. He says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you, and I want to pause here and point this out before we read the, the rest of the verse. You heard Chris Stewart talk about this last week. You actually heard Nikki talk about it the week before. And you heard me talk about it three weeks ago. It's almost like there's a pattern. Okay? The author is talking to a group here. This is the, the verb tense, the language. It all points to the fact that he's talking to a group. This is not you. This is y'all. Okay? That's really important. Here's the rest of the verse. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you, plural, y'all, has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So he says, when, when you guys think about each other, when you get together, uh, when you spend time um, doing life together, I want you to pay attention to the point that nobody in your group has a sinful, that's misbehaving, unbelieving, that's misbelieving. I want to make sure nobody in your group, nobody in y'all, misbehaves and misbelieves, and their heart turns away from the living God. He's talking to a y'all, okay? Now, that, that phrase, turns away from the living God, implies a process. It is not, I woke up one morning and decided my heart was turned away from the living God. Now, there's, there's other places in Greek literature where this phrase is used to describe a waterfall that falls to different levels and different shelves and different cliffs before it gets to the bottom. It's this gradual drift. It's this gradual process that happens. And the author of Hebrews says, I want, I want you guys to pay attention to each other so y'all don't gradually drift from the living God. Now, if, if I would have started this morning by saying, okay, today's message is, I don't want any of you to have an unbelieving heart and turn away from the living God. Like, I want you all to get to the finish line and remain faithful and love Jesus and love your neighbor. And today, I'm going to tell you how to do that. You would not be surprised. In fact, most of you would expect me to make two points. Point number one, you need to make a commitment to Jesus. It's a great commitment to make. And number two, you need to develop some deep convictions based on what Scripture says is right and wrong. And I could use all of my persuasive skills, and I could have Mark come out at the end and sing some huge Christian ballad, and we'd all get our Kleenexes out. And today I rededicated myself. I fully surrendered my life and my love and my leadership and all the L words. And, and from this day forward, <laughs> right? And, I, and, and, and you'd leave on this spiritual high because it was all about making sure you're committed. It's all about making sure your convictions line up with your commitments, and it's with God's word. But the chances of following through on that five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years, 20, 35 years from now, minimal. Minimal. Because as motivating and as inspiring as all of that might be, and please hear me, we want to be motivating and inspiring. As motivating and inspiring as that might be, it's not enough. And your experience proves this. Some of you, like you're, you're hesitant about church or you're hesitant about Christianity because here's what you'd say. 
you'd say, I've tried it, Tim. I've, I've done the church thing. I've gone to church. I've prayed the prayer. I've made commitments. I threw away all my secular music at youth camp. Right? I promised God 12 things. I even broke up with my girlfriend. Nothing has worked. You'd say, nothing's worked. I did all the stuff and it didn't work. Christianity doesn't work. You're wrong. You're wrong. Because you only got two out of three. And frankly speaking, you got the easiest two. It's the easiest two. All it takes to inspire and motivate people to make a decision, for the most part, is a great sound system and an inspirational speaker. And maybe that's just cynical Tim speaking. <laughs> but that's, for the most part, all it takes. So I want you to listen to what God says to you, what he says to me, what he says to us through this very wise first century author. Here's what he says. Here's the third component. Verse 13. But encourage one another daily. But encourage one another daily. He doesn't tell them to buck up. Doesn't tell them to commit more or deepen your convictions, pray another prayer, cry some tears, go forward to the altar. No. He says, you want to make it to the finish line? You want to maintain your faith? You want to make sure that your, your heart doesn't drift away from the living God? Yeah, I want that. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to encourage one another daily. Well, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Well, that doesn't sound very spiritual. No, it sounds relational. It kind of sounds like the, the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit being in relationship, being in community since the very beginning of time. Like we're supposed to live that out practically? Yeah. Encourage one another daily. This little Greek word encourage isn't the kind of encourage like great job. Or, or Tim, you look way better in that shirt than Frank looks in his. It's not encouragement like that. Okay? It's a little deeper. It's a little bigger. It's a little broader. Much more powerful word. Encourage means to, ex to urge, to exhort, to confront, to come alongside, to spur into action. And all of those things, like that implies relationship. It implies a connection between people that know each other well enough, that have given permission to each other, that if one starts to drift, if one starts to lose faith, the other person would notice and feel like they had the right to say, hey, I heard you and so-and-so were going out. Can we talk about that? Or hey, I heard you, you, were, you were talking about moving. I heard you were talking about buying. Or, you know what, just a couple months ago, you said that's not a good idea, and now you're, you're doing it. Can, can we talk about that? And the author is saying, if you want to get to the finish line, if you want to keep from drifting, you, you don't just need commitments and convictions. You need to be connected. You need to be connected. It's not enough to have strong commitments and deep convictions. You've got to have solid connections. And we talked about this so many times, just over and over and over. There's a people-to-people person-to-person -person component to your relationship with Jesus. Read the New Testament over and over and over again. You read this little phrase, one another. Forgive one another. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. There's over and over. There's this one another component to your relationship with Jesus that's just as necessary as making commitments and establishing convictions. 
And so he says, encourage one another daily. Now, different commentators have different ideas of what that means, okay? Some say uh, daily means often. Some say no, daily means every day. And some say it goes with the next verse that you need to do this in this generation. But you know what? (laughs) Those of you who know about or have been a part of AA, you know that daily means what? Daily. Every day. See, AA figured this out a long time ago. The power of those environments is this. I'm committed to breaking the habit because I have a conviction. It needs to be broken, but I know those two aren't enough. So I've invited a group of people into my life to walk with me through this until I break it. And then once I break it, I'm going to simply rely on my convictions and commitments. And no, 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 no. Once the habit's broken, I'm going to keep all three because I know the only way to maintain my sobriety, the only way to maintain my freedom is to maintain my commitment based on a deep conviction connected to people who have permission to speak grace and truth into my life. That's the power of AA. And Weight Watchers knows all about this. It's the same idea. There are lots of organizations that know all about it, but for some reason, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, when it comes to faith, somehow we decided it's just between me and God. And it's not really anybody else's business. And is your faith supposed to be personal? Yes. But it was never supposed to be private. All throughout the New Testament, one another, one another, one another. It's other people's business because the church is a community. It's not you. It's a y'all. So don't try to do it alone because you're going to be a two-legged stool. And you can do that. You can sit on a two-legged stool but it's a little awkward. The secret sauce is not your commitment. The secret sauce isn't even your conviction. The secret sauce is your connection to the body. Who are you connecting with? And then watch, just watch how he finishes this. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. And then he gives what's called a purpose statement or a result statement. Here's why. He wants us to encourage one another daily so that you'd underline, put a box around, highlight, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. He wants us to encourage one another daily so none of y'all, none of us will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. This goes back to what we said at the beginning, that as long as you're depending on your commitments and convictions, that you're inspired, you're motivated every Sunday and you leave trying to keep that going, trying to keep the emotion going, as long as you're depending on commitments and convictions alone, you have the potential to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And that's just a complicated biblical way of something, uh, saying something you and I have experienced multiple times. Okay? Have you ever seen someone who is normally a really smart person do stuff that's really dumb? Have you ever seen this? Yes, you all have. You've seen them in the mirror. <laughs> like there's, there's, you're really smart people and we do really dumb things financially, relationally, in our work, in our business, in our dating, right? But, but let's talk about other people for a second, okay? They rush into the room and, and they tell you what they're gonna do. And they got a big grin on their face, especially if it's a romantic thing. 
okay? All this emotion, all this excitement, and you find yourself smiling. You find yourself excited because they're excited, and there's all this energy, there's all this emotion, but inside you're going, no, 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 no. That's a, what are you doing? You don't want to do that. Like, it's so obvious to you. You have crystal clear insight into the stupidity of their decision. <laughs> but they're, they're just excited and they run into the next office to tell everybody else. And there's, there's something inside of us that thinks we should say something, but that would be too awkward. So what do we do? We pick up the phone and talk to somebody else instead of talking to them. Hey, John, did you hear what Ron's planning to do? Isn't that the dumbest decision you've ever heard? Yeah, I know I should probably say something to him, but it's really none of my business. And then they make the decision and it blows up and we think, oh, it's terrible. It was a dumb decision. I could see it from a mile away, but it wasn't any of my business. So you know what? I'll just pray for him. Dear Lord, just want to pray for Ron. He's in a bad spot because he married that girl. And I knew he shouldn't have married that girl. We all knew he shouldn't have married that girl. And Lord, you knew he shouldn't have married that girl, but you didn't say anything to him. So I figured I wasn't going to say anything to him. And listen, I know I'm being a little sarcastic here. I've been on vacation. I apologize. I'll get it reined in, okay? <laughs> but this is what Scripture teaches. That the reason we've got to add this third piece is because sin is deceitful. Yeah. It's deceitful, and the way we experience the deceitfulness of sin is through self-deception. The reason you've seen really smart people do really dumb things is because they were deceived. But like the Bible personifies sin as if it's an entity sometimes. But what you experience, what you see when somebody makes those kinds of decisions, you even say it. You think it. You say, they're so deceived. They're, they just, they're so off. The Bible says, yep, deceived by sin. Here's the deal. <laughs> Just as you've had crystal clear insight into other people's self-deception, there are people who have crystal clear insight into yours. And the question is, are you going to benefit from that or not? Will you benefit from that or will you ignore it? Like, does anybody in your life have permission to come along and be that third leg by saying, hey, when you came in here the other day and you were so excited and you were, you were just, just so jazzed about that, I know it looked on my face like I was really excited for you, but I, gotta t I just got to say this because I love you. I think you're making a really bad decision here. Does anybody in your life know? I, you know, I think you've been deceived. Like a year ago, you said you'd never do this and now you're thinking about doing it. Do you not believe that anymore? Like, what's going on there? Can, can I exhort you? Can I come alongside of you? Can I confront you? Can, can, can I do this? Like, somebody can have the same crystal clear insight into your decision making. The question is, do they have access to you? Have you given anybody permission? Have you put yourself in an environment where that can happen? Or are you just going to rely on your commitment and convictions? 
Scripture over and over and over teaches. It's really not just a matter of you and God figuring it out. But putting yourself in relationship with other people who share your convictions and share your commitments is as spiritual as praying. It's as spiritual as saying, God, would you show me? It's as spiritual as opening up scripture and asking God to show you through his word. It's, it's as spiritual to invite people into your life, to be that connection, to encourage you so you don't drift, so you're not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Let me, let me put it this way. The best way to avoid self-deception is not to do life all by yourself. Like self-deception gains momentum when you're all by yourself. But when you add people who share your convictions and share your commitments, in this case, share your theology, your faith in, in Jesus, when you allow them access to the point where they can ask difficult questions, to the point where they hear and see the stories you're telling, where they hear and see the stories you're not telling, when you've got somebody encouraging you like that, it's much harder to suffer from self-deception because you're not doing life by yourself. And this is why. Like, here's, here's where we're around the corner and start talking about application to this. This is why we emphasize groups so much as a church. We love Sunday mornings, the music, the teaching, the gathering together. We love that. We, like, we want your kids to wake you up on Sunday morning because they can't wait to come to church. We love that. Okay. But all of this is about inspiring and motivating you to make commitments and develop some convictions. That's what this is. Sunday morning is not designed for you to make encouraging connections. Do you do that at this sometimes? Absolutely. Absolutely. But Sunday morning is not designed for that. The way we're trying to do that, the way we're trying to accomplish solid connections is to move you from sitting in rows to getting in circles. Circles of two to four, circles of 12 to 16, circles of more than that, where you're connecting with other people who share your commitments, who share your convictions, and can do life with you to the point that if you start to drift, if you start making bad decisions, there's somebody there to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, I've proven to you that I love you. I've shown up in your life over and over and over again. Can we talk about that? Hey, you know I love you. You know I want what's best for you. But like a surgeon, I'm going to cut you, not so you bleed. I'm going to cut you so you heal. Do you have anybody in your life that can say to you, hey, where have you been? What are you thinking? Where, 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 do you know where that decision leads? And if you're not in that kind of environment, if you're not in that kind of connection, it doesn't matter how good I preach doesn't matter how good the music is or how organized we are as a church. Your faith is a two-legged stool. It's a two-legged stool. And if you're a part of Grace Point, you're going to get really sick and tired of us saying this over and over and over again because we're not going to stop saying it. This is a part of discipleship. This is a part of you growing in your relationship with Jesus, and we're going to keep on encouraging you to do it. And so it, adding the third component, it takes some intentionality on our part 
And it takes some intentionality on your part, but it's why we're co- so, so committed to moving adults into a group. It's why we're so committed to having incredible group leaders for our kids because we don't babysit. We don't babysit. Kids Point is where we believe kids start to develop the relational side of their faith. It's, it's why we have adult leaders who show up on Wednesday nights to work with middle school and high school kids. Tandem isn't just about fun and games. Student ministry is, is a lot of fun and games, but it's not just about fun and games. It's about teaching them. It's about giving them a context where they have a relational side of their faith because that's a critical component of our faith, and it's why. If you're not in a group, we want you to get in one because it's a critical component to your faith. And hear me, I'm not just talking to the extroverts in the room. See, some of you are introverts. I know how you think because I is one. And you think, oh, he's just talking to the extroverts. No, I'm not. Do you know that being in community is a discipline for me? You, you, you see me up here and I'm crazy Tim and oh, he's so good in a room. I'm terrible in a small group. I'm terrible. I'm really uncomfortable. I love my small group. If you're in my small group, I love y'all. I, I do, I do, okay? But I'm not good at that piece. It's a discipline for me. So for some of us, this is more a discipline. Some of you are like, tell me where to sign up. I'll, I'll be in seven groups, Tim, all right? So I'm not just talking to extroverts. I'm talking to us all, right? So a couple times a year, we try to make it as easy as possible for people to get into a group, okay? We try to create on-ramps for people to get in a group, and we're entering into one of those right now. You're going to hear more about that over the coming um, month or so. Um, but to wrap up today, I'm actually going to tag Pastor Josh in, and he's going to wrap it up because Josh is the, the staff member who's in charge um, of this part of the ministry of Grace Point, and he does a fantastic job of creating these environments and creating these on-ramps. Um, so Pastor Josh is actually going to wrap us up today, and um, we'll be done. Tag, you're it. Thank you. Glad to be it. Well, uh, as uh, Pastor Tim mentioned, my name is Josh Cooper. I have the privilege of being your discipleship pastor. And uh, he mentioned the whole month of August, we are dedicating to creating on-ramps for starting small groups and uh, getting into groups. There will be opportunities later to hear more about how to get into a small group if you are not in one. But for right now, for this moment, I want to focus on starting new small groups. This is new for us. The way we're doing this is brand new. We've never taken this approach before as a church. Uh, When it comes to starting small groups, we've never given this much time to promoting and encouraging. There's that word, encouraging, exhorting, urging all of you to start a short-term small group. So this is an all-skate for us as a church. We want everyone who is hearing these words come out of my mouth to seriously consider starting a small group in September. How are we going to do that? Well, what we want to do is align the whole church with a sermon series we have coming up after Labor Day called Sacred Pathways. We're super excited about this series because Sacred Pathways is based off of a popular book called Sacred Pathways, and it's all about how we as individuals uniquely are wired and how we connect with our divine creator. Because no two of us are the same, but there are often pathways that are very, very similar. 
And so we want all of our small groups to do this study together when their groups meet starting in September. We provide the tools, we provide some simple training to get you going, but we want everyone who is in a small group to start with the Sacred Pathway series when we launch in September. And so uh, we know, as Pastor Tim has already talked about, that groups are necessary for your formation. Um, and the reality is, is, is as a church, um, there are so many new people here, and we are so glad you're here. And, and, and it is a genuine issue sometimes to get new folks into existing groups. So this is why we're taking this approach, because uh, it's, it's been a bit of a thing like where we're just kind of banging our heads against the wall. So I don't want to do that anymore because it hurts. And, and so now the new approach is, man, welcome to Grace Point. You have a tremendous privilege to start a small group right where you are because you know people. See, we mistakenly think that small groups is for us, but really groups is for those who aren't in one yet. And so there are a lot of people that you know outside of this church who would benefit from that Sacred Pathways series, and we want you to go after them and invite them to be a part of this four-week small group experience. And so we're encouraging you to try to try something new by leveraging your relationships and your influence and be a part of the Sacred Pathway small group experience. So how can you do that? Where well, we have a screen, I want you to get out your phone. Here's how you can start. This is just for informational purposes. So you're not making any firm commitments at this point, but go ahead and put that up on the screen. And if you're watching online, you can do this too. Get out your phone, hold up your phone. I know you have them in your pockets. Come on, church. All right, hold them up. I got two phones up in the back. Where's the phones on this? There we go. We got some phones. All right, I want you to open up your text messaging um, app. And I want you in the, uh, in the to portion where normally someone's name appears, I want you to type in the number 94000. So that's 94,000. That's a, it's a line to us here at Grace Point. And in then, in the body of the text message, I want you to type in the word GP, ho, or host GP, excuse me, host GP. Now, just so you know, you type that in, your phone's going to autocorrect it to the word hostage. <laughs> okay, delete that, type it again before you hit send. There's a little irony in that. <laughs> uh, um, Okay, and then hit send, and you will be given then a link to a form that I need you to complete. So, so do that. Do that now. Don't leave. Don't hesitate. We want everyone to have an opportunity, even people who aren't a part of Grace Point, to be a part of a small group community. Look at this. My phone is buzzing. This is awesome. And, and, and we want people to get into a group for at least four weeks on the Sacred Pathways series, and you are the vehicle to do it. We will train you, we will provide coaching for you, we give you the tools on how to do that. Trust me, you can do it. You can do it because in 2002, when Jacqueline and I were newly married in a city all by ourselves, we've, we entered the doors of Sand Lake Wesleyan Church and we became acquainted with Dirk and Carol Hunter. We had nothing in common with Dirk and Carol except our affection for Jesus and they brought us into their small group early on in our days at Sand Lake Wesleyan Church. And I wasn't even a pastor then. 
right? I didn't do this professionally, but for the last 20 years, Jacqueline and I have been taking on groups, and, and it is just the best thing about being in community together. So we want you to have that, and the best way for you to have that kind of community is to start that community because you know people. All right. If you have questions, I will stay up here for a moment. Come talk to me after service or send me an email if you're online. Love to talk to you more about it if you have questions. But otherwise, church, that's all I have for you now. I hope you have the very best week that you go in the grace and the knowledge and the peace and joy and love of Christ. So have a blessed week, everybody. You're dismissed.